Repentance. It's a deep sorrow, regret for terrible sin, the guilt suffered from it, and the shameful stain marking mankind forever. Wednesday begins the Lenten season as the pastor uses ashes to make the sign of a cross on each believer's forehead. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Without a Savior, sin marks us. We can't wash it away or erase what nailed our Savior to Calvary's tree, but we are new through Christ on the cross. Isaiah writes, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Lent is a 40-day season of repentance, a time for God's church to examine our hearts before celebrating Jesus' resurrection. Just as rain fell on Noah, as the children of Israel wandered, and as Jesus fasted and was tempted in the desert, so during the 40 days of Lent, God's people contemplate the cross, fixing their eyes on a Savior who bore the sin of the world. With it, the Lenten season brings solemn midweek services. Alleluia, meaning praise the Lord, is omitted from the liturgy until Easter. Some choose to fast or give something up to more clearly focus on our Savior, through prayer and study. Deep violet drapes the Lenten altar, the color of royalty and repentance, as we turn from sin toward the mercy of Christ our King. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The Old Testament reading for today, the first Sunday in Lent, is taken from Genesis, the third chapter, which writes, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you have gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel is taken from St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to to the test. 
Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The text for the sermon this day are those readings that I just read to you. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Back in the 1970s, there was a popular movie that came out. It was a popular horror movie. It was a movie that many people were terrified of. And many of you probably avoided like the plague to see it. The name of this movie, of course, was The Exorcist. Now, what if I were to tell you that this popular movie was based on a true story? Now, the movie took lots and lots of liberties, but it is indeed based on a true story that actually occurred, in part, at St. At Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Yes, the seminary that I attended. So I slept within a few hundred feet of the very place where this famous exorcism happened. Now, I bring this story up not that you get interested, too interested over about exorcisms. And by the way, if you go to the seminary and go on the tour... If you ask about it, they're not allowed to answer any questions about it. I don't bring this up that you might get intrigued by that, but to point out a simple fact, and that is that the devil and his demons are real. They have power, and they have no greater desire than this to destroy you and me. And the reason for this is because of the simple fact that the devil is defeated. He cannot defeat our Heavenly Father. And so because he knows he cannot defeat God, he turns to the ones whom God loves. You and me. And so day and night, when we're awake and when we're asleep, he is constantly whispering temptations into our ear. He is working on us just like he worked on Eve. Just as he tried to seduce Jesus. Just as he has done throughout the ages. Now it would be easy for us to think that the devil's temptations are always big. That they're always the big you know, leading somebody to murder, leading somebody to, you know, grand theft auto or something of that nature. But as C.S. Lewis said in Screwtape Letters, 
Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The devil is always whispering in our ears. From the minute of our conversion. You see, the minute Adam and Eve are created, they are being tempted by the devil. Jesus was just baptized by John. And just like Jesus, the minute we come to, when we are baptized, the minute we come to faith, we are at, uh, under assault by the devil. Because he wants to tear us down. He wants to drag us into the hell, into his kingdom, which is in reality a prison. And so he does this in many and various ways. It is in the subtle things. Like that moment where you're sitting there and you're having a deep theological, deep spiritual thought. And while you're thinking about it, the devil whispers another. And he says something like, it's time to go get lunch. This is much too serious of a matter to think about on an empty stomach. And so you listen to the devil's whispers. You follow that thought, train of thought and you walk outside and you see the world around you and you realize, you know what, this is the real issues. And I need not bother with these spiritual matters. Because the devil is a master at doing that particular scheme. Convincing us that matters of faith are trivial. That they are not the real matters. He's very good at getting us to forget that Jesus is not just some apparition that's up in the sky. That he was an actual flesh and blood human being. Who walked this earth, who had blood flowing through his veins, just as they flow through mine and yours. He is very good at forgetting us, to letting us forget that God exists in history. He is very good at convincing us, making us forget that we are dying. This is why we have. Why the church has historically celebrated things such as Ash Wednesday. See, on Ash Wednesday, the pastor, many pastors take the practice of imposition of ashes, place an ash in the form of the cross upon your forehead, reminding you this, that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The words that God spoke to Adam and Eve in Genesis, reminding them that they are dying. From the smallest infant child to the oldest adult, we are all dying. And at any moment, this death can take us from this world. And the devil wants nothing more that when that to have it that when that moment comes that we do not have faith in Christ and that we may enter into his 
eternal hell. He uses the media and the news to aid him in this thinking. Social media in particular gives us a lot of ideas that are misleading. For example, there's a quote that goes around. It says something, it says that something like this, that going to church makes you no more of a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. To which I say that's true, but it also, I would say, that you go, where do you go to find Big Macs? You don't go to Burger King. You don't go to Casey's gas stations. You go to McDonald's to get a Big Mac. So where do you go to find Christians? You go to church. See, this little quote, this line of thinking, is the devil's clever idea because he knows one of the greatest defenses against him is God's word and his holy sacraments. And so he will do anything and everything in his power to keep you away from them. Because the more and more you are away from the sacraments, the more and more you are away from God's word, the more and more you become a victim of the devil's schemes and ideas. The more and easier and easier it becomes for him to lead you into the bowels of hell. So Christians are to be at word and sacrament because they are the absolute best defense against God against the devil's attacks another one that's acclaimed to be a quote of St. Francis of Assisi it says spread the gospel use words if necessary now this was not actually a quote of St. Francis of Assisi it, that has been debunked but the quote is nonetheless something that people like. Because people cling to the ideas of the social gospel. That the gospel is all about us loving one another. Now understand, loving one another is important. And you can't love God without loving. If you don't love one another, then you don't love God. But it's also got this, but it's very much tied to this social gospel. That the gospel is about fighting against evils in the world such as poverty, uh, prostitution, abortion, capital punishment, um, homosexuality, whatever issue you of, may be for the day. Now, none of these issues are necessarily unimportant issues, but they are not the gospel. And the gospel cannot be preached by being a good person. The gospel in its truest sense is Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. You cannot proclaim that through actions. It can only be spoken through words. I mean, seriously, let me ask you that question. How can you through action tell about Jesus? And how can your actions... How are your actions any different from that of an atheist or a Muslim? So it's for this reason why this quote is absolutely foolish. 
Saying preach the gospel if necessary, use words, is like saying feed the hungry, use food if necessary. It is absurd. And yet the devil is whispering it into our ear. The devil's always trying to lead us into false gospels. Lead us into the idea that we shouldn't be talking about Jesus. That we should limit the talk of theological and spiritual talk. Because after all, as our, our society has been convinced, our a religion is just between yourself and God. And the devil's done a masterful job doing that because... He may not take you, but at least he knows that the gospel is not reaching the ears of others. So he's taking so, so many people that Christians do not talk to. Because we're afraid, for whatever reason, the devil has whispered into our ear and convinced us to not proclaim the gospel. And whatever that reason is, he's convinced us that that is more important than the eternal destiny of that person. We would rather live in our comfortable world. We think that's more important. It's more important for us to be comfortable than it is to keep people from going into hell, into eternal torture. The devil likes to convince us with false gospels. He likes to tell us that if you have enough faith, if you pray hard enough, you will be wealthy. You'll have the ideal life. You'll never get sick. He likes to convince us that you need to work a certain amount in order to be saved. He likes to make a, have us look at the evils and the tragedies in our life and ask us and whisper to us and say, God must not really love you given the bad things that are happening. The devil never really wants us to consider that suffering is a part of the Christian life. And the reality is, is the devil will convince you and he'll shout to you over and over again that you are not worthy of God's kingdom. That you deserve death and hell. You deserve eternal torment. You deserve eternal suffering. You deserve eternal punishment. The devil tells us over and over again. <clears throat> but as the devil is so good at, he's only telling us half the story. Because he is right. We do deserve death and hell. We deserve nothing good in this life or in the life of the world to come. But this is what we know. We know that, Jesus, that God gave the promise to Adam and Eve that the serpent's head would be crushed by the offspring of Eve. We know that that offspring is the child that was born of Mary. That he is the one that was baptized by John. He is the one of whom we read about in Matthew. That defeated the devil. That resisted all the devil's temptations. Using the words of scripture to defeat him. Setting an example for us to do the same. We know that he 
is the one who was abandoned, betrayed, denied, rejected, humiliated, and crucified. We know that he is the one who conquered that death of crucifixion by rising from the dead on the third day. We know that he is the one whom we are clothed with in the waters of baptism. We know that he is the one who comes to us in the proclamation of the word. We know that he is the one in, with, and under the bread and wine given to us for the forgiveness of sins in the Lord's Supper. We know that he is the mighty fortress, that he is the valiant one whom shall defeat, whom has defeated the devil. And so when the devil wags his finger in our face and tells us that we deserve death and hell, we can so easily respond with the one little word that can fell him. I am baptized. I am claimed by God. I am a child of the one true God. I am his son. I am his heir. I am not a slave to you, devil. I am not destined for your kingdom, for your prison. I am not destined for your death. I am destined for the eternal kingdom. I am destined for a bodily resurrection. And I stand against you, not because of who I am, but because of the Christ by whom I am clothed, by whom I am, in, by whom I am clothed in baptism. I stand against you with the word by which I am strengthened. I am stand against you by the Lord's Supper, by which again I am strengthened and enabled to stand against the devil. Christ empowers us. As Luther said, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. That is why the pastor makes the ash and the sign of the cross. For in the water, at your baptism, the pastor said, receive the sign of the cross upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. That cross reminds you that even though you will die a physical death, this is the promise that you will rise a physical resurrection, that you will rise to a new life because you have been marked as one redeemed by Christ the crucified in the waters of baptism. So that neither death nor life, nor the devil nor anything can separate you from his love. From the love of God. And this is real. This is as real as it gets. You don't have to fear the devil that you see in the exorcist. He can't possess you because you have the Holy Spirit. You do not have to fear 
wonder what it, whether or not this is the real matter. It is the real matter. He lived in history. He physically rose from a grave, from a tomb that, exi that may very well exist to this day. He is real. And your resurrection is real. Your baptism is real. The Lord's Supper is real. God's word is real. And by it, the devil cannot stand. He is defeated. To God be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church that following our Savior we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who taught us all to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. This is a recording of the sermon for what would have been preached this afternoon um, if it weren't for the snow day at St. John Luther Church in May City and St. Peter Luther Church in Ocheden. Uh, this is a shorter recording. I hope it was a blessing to you. Um, I am Pastor Neil Wemus. Um, I am a pastor of those four mentioned churches as well as Zion Lutheran Church in Horton Township. Um, if you would like to visit any of our congregations when you're in the area, or if you do live in the area, uh, you can visit, um, you can find out our service times at www.iowaoclutherans.org. Uh, if you do not live in the area, I encourage you to go check out issuesetc.org or lutheranliturgy.org or lcms.org and click on any of their Find a Church tabs and you'll be able to find a good congregation in your area. Uh, with that, I leave you with the recording of A Mighty Fortress and the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Again, this is a recording of A Mighty Fortress is Our God, as recorded by the National Lutheran Choir.